Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Apologize for not being on uh, last week. My um, had a um I was uh, very very tired from uh, doing some other things and uh when that happens uh, I'll notify you and uh the program will be rescheduled so but I do the best I can to make it every week here at 10:30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time and again I apologize uh for that and uh, if for whatever reason I can't broadcast, you have uh, quite a few teachings in the archive to listen to. All right, so today I'm going to, I've been uh, not talking about prophecy as much uh, as I have on previous programs, but this program, of course, is going to be about uh, prophecy uh, on the 26th of uh, January. The Doomsday Clock people announced that they're going to keep the Doomsday Clock to three minutes. And I asked people, do they know anything about the Doomsday Clock? Uh, And even people in the Hebrew Roots Movement, uh, the ones that I've asked, they they really don't have a clue about it. Uh, (laughs) I hope that that everybody in the movement... uh, aren't like that, but so far a majority of people that I ask about the doomsday clock, they don't have a clue about what it's all about. And that's sad because the doomsday clock is a very significant uh, symbol, as I'm going to prove to you today in this Bible study. And so... I'm going to answer the question, what is the doomsday clock? I mean, what is it? Why should we be concerned about it? Why should we be concerned about it? And why is it called the doomsday clock? All right, so let's turn to, and I have the scriptures uh, conveniently um, written, advertising the program so that you can follow me. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And these aren't all the scriptures I'm going to use, but these are the, the ones that are the foundational scriptures for the program. Matthew 
uh, Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And I want you to, to focus on what I'm saying. Please, this is a very important message that I'm giving today. It says, and except, well, all of them are important, but this one prophetically, based on the prophetic scriptures, is important. Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened. Now, I want you to focus on the words, those days. Because it's a particular portion of days that he's talking about. Those days should be shortened. There should no flesh be saved. I'm going to repeat that two more times. And except those Days should be shortened. There should be no flesh saved. And except those days, excuse me, and except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. Then he says, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now, when you do your history, and to really understand the Bible, folks, you need to be history students. If you're not history students, you're going to have a difficult time understanding the Bible. When you look at geopolitical or military history, we have not had any modern world wars until World War I and World War II. It did not happen until the end of World War II, or what became the end of World War II after August 6, 1945, with the detonation of Little Boy over Hiroshima or Hiroshima, you can pronounce it either way, quickly ended the war. The Japanese, of course, surrendered after that. Well, when that occurred, Truman, our president, Harry Truman, stated the following. Let me read this to you from a book that probably most people wouldn't want to read. It's called The Fate of the Earth. It's about how mankind can actually destroy itself off the face of the earth right now. This is Matthew 24, verse 22 in detail, this, this book. It's The Fate of the Earth and the Abolition. And I'm going to give you, I'm going to read a couple of quotes from this book on the back cover. It says, there have been thousands of commentaries on what this new destructive power of man means. But my guess is that um, Scales' book will become the classic statement for the emerging consciousness. And here's another quote, a Reason argument, as this work will do much to stimulate the ongoing nuclear debate, it is highly recommended. And let me read the rest of it here. It says, now combined in one volume, these two books helped focus national attention in the 1980s. And this was in the 1980s on the movement for a nuclear freeze. The fate of the Earth painted a chilling picture of the planet in the aftermath of a nuclear holocaust, while the abolition offered a proposal for full-scale nuclear disarmament. With the recent tensions in India and Pakistan and concerns about nuclear proliferation around the globe, 
public attention is once again focused on the worldwide nuclear situation. Now, this is interesting. This is written in the 1980s, and when I read you what the um, Atomic Bulletin Scientist wrote in a uh, PDF format, it's basically almost the same. The author is at the forefront of the discussion. In February 1998, his lengthy essay constituted the centerpiece of a special widely distributed issue of the nation dealing with the nuclear arms race. The relevance of his two books for today's debates is undeniable, as many experts assert that the nuclear situation is more dangerous than ever. And this is what they are saying now. And this is one of the reasons why people say, oh, well, nothing's going to happen. Well, Folks, I really hope you really pay attention to me. I know that gloom and doom is something that most people just don't want to deal with. But unfortunately, folks, the Bible does talk about gloom and doom. But the good news is when the Bible talks about gloom and doom, something good's going to come out of it. In the end, everything will be okay. But unfortunately, as I explained to a group yesterday, we don't respond, most of us don't respond to um, God unless we are punished, unless something is taken away from us. And and, and I, I, I try to explain this to people over and over and over again, and I, I don't know if they get it or not, but God punishes those that he loves. All right, let's, let's go to the scripture. And you know, people. I, I read comments on Facebook, and and, and I um, I talk to people, and they just don't seem to understand this concept. But another thing too that's disturbing. Um, I, I visit congregations, and I've um, been around people. And one of the things, perhaps the reason why they don't understand that God punishes, is because. I see, unfortunately, I'm not saying this with everyone, but it's, it's a lot. I mean, I have to be totally honest. I see how uh, their kids, and I see how um, they're allowed to just run rampant. Now, this is not for everyone, but it's, it's, I've seen it more often than what I would like to see. <laughs> I don't want to see any of it, of course, but there's some people in the movement that raise their kids properly, but there's other families, uh, a, a good bunch of them anyway that I've been around that don't. And they, they allow their kids to, to, to do whatever they want to do and talk back to their parents and, and, and everything else. And if you don't understand how to discipline your children, you're certainly not going to understand how God disciplines adults and how he does it through his words. So it's, it's, I'm going to read this in, in, in a version that I hope is, is very clear to you. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version of the Bible, which is a word-from-word translation. And in Hebrews chapter 12, let me start in verse 1. It says, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a crowd of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every uh, unnecessary weight that sin which so readily clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patience. And see, that's the key again. And I find... Also, that there's people that are impatient about this life, this walk that we um, have to walk. And things are not going to happen right away, folks. 
uh, for us, even if we are believers, even if we are true believers. We have to be patient and we have to to fight the fight and be patient and take up our cross as, as Messiah has told us to do. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 2, is because it is a race, looking away from all that will distract to Yeshua, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and is also his finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. So he works through us to to, to reach us to the goal of perfection or completion. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross. So he endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's very important to understand that. He went through a lot for us, ladies and gentlemen. He didn't have to go through all that, but he went through it because he loves us. He loves all of mankind, and so he chose to go through a lot of problems. Now, Matthew 10, verse 28, it states, And he who does not take, Matthew 10, verse 38, He who does not take up his cross and follow me, cleaves steadfastly to me, conforming wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying also is not worthy of me. Let me repeat that two more times. In Matthew 10, verse 38, And he who does not take up his cross and follow me, and that word cross should be stake, stake and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conforming wholly to my example in a living, and if need be, in dying also, is not worthy of me. I hope these words really sink into the fabric of your mind. Now let's go back to Hebrews 12, verse 6. It states or um, about the cross. Go up a little bit in Hebrews chapter 12 again. It states in Hebrews 12, verse 2, and remember we have to take up our cross too, just like he did, looking away from all that will distract us to Yeshua, who is the leader and source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief, and is also his finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection or completion. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross. We have to endure our crosses too. Despising and ignoring the shame. We have to despise and ignore the shame. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne, of Yah, we will always be with Yeshua if we overcome. We will share his throne and his glory. Revelation 12, verse 3. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. We have to do that, too. We have to. I get a lot of opposition. I got disrespected yesterday. All right? Again, I, I, it's like over and over and over again when I'm around people, somebody's got to to say something to let me know they don't like God's words, they don't like the truth. And so I, I have to deal with that. And Yeshua dealt with that all the time. And he was a perfect man. Verse 3, just think of him who endured from sinners and grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself, reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. And here, here's a good point in verse 4. You have not yet struggled and fought agonizingly against sin, nor have you yet resisted and was pouring out your own blood. 
and that's what you're sure. He sweated like blood, or it may have been blood. But regardless, no one has ever suffered like him. That's the point that the, the author of Hebrews is, is making. Verse 5. And have you completely forgotten the divine word of appeal and encouragement in which you are reasoned with and addressed as sons? My son, do not think lightly or scorn to submit to the correction and discipline of the master, nor lose courage and give up and faint when you are reproved or corrected by him. And hold your place here. A scripture just popped in my mind. Let's turn to, I think it's Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Proverbs 12, verse 1 states this. Whoever loves instruction and correction loves knowledge. But he who hates reproof or correction is like a brute beast, stupid and indiscriminating. Indiscriminating, I'm sorry. Indiscriminating. i got to drink some water here. Indiscriminating. And so it says that someone is a brute beast, stupid, and indiscriminating if do not like instruction. Let me go ahead and drink some water. I'll be right back. All right. So we don't want to be stupid, folks, because God says if we don't want to be corrected, we're stupid. So let's not be stupid. So let's go back to Hebrews. Chapter 12, verse 6. So it says, For the Lord corrects and disciplines everyone whom he loves, and he punishes, even scourges, every son whom he accepts and welcomes to his heart and cherishes. And yeah, pe- people want to run away from this fact. In verse 7, but it's true. You must submit to and endure correction for, di- for discipline. God is dealing with you as with sons. And so this is a good question for all you fathers that are listening to me and mothers. For what son is there whom his father does not train and correct and discipline? In other words, if you're not doing that, you should be doing it. And you should be scourging your son, not, you know, of course, uh, to the point of, of child abuse, but you should be not withholding the rod. You should be spanking him as the Bible commands, in love, of course, and after you have warned them. If you're not doing that, that's if your kids are running around and uh, you don't have control over them. And what I mean by control, not controlling their minds, but let me explain. You have controls in place, or should, in, in an organization. Whenever you work for a company, there are rules and regulations you must follow. If those rules and regulations or controls are not followed, what happens? Everyone will lose control. The organization will lose control, and the organization will not be able to reach its overall goals. Well, you have to have control set in place in any organization or group, including a family. If you don't have those controls set up, then what happens? You have chaos, and there has to be leaders. Uh, The last book, not the last book, but the last verse in Judges proves this, and Judges chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king, notice it doesn't say queen, no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. So if you don't have leadership in societies and organizations and churches, 
then everyone's going to do what's right in their own eyes, ladies and gentlemen. And God has to correct, and he continues to correct from time to time throughout history. People that know or claim to know prophecy don't seem to understand this point, that God throughout history is going to punish. And when I announce in this program that because of certain certain, certain things that God is going to punish, I'm not really saying anything great. I'm just going by what God does throughout history. And he states this here in the book of Hebrews, that he punishes every son whom he loves. And he loves us all. He even loves people who aren't believers. So I, I want to, I'm trying to explain this to you in a in a clear way for you to understand this. Because this is the objection that I get from people uh, in reference to prophecy. This is why they put their heads in the sand. Because they don't want to think of a God that punishes a God of judgment. And God, and this is one of the main doctrines of Yah, the sixth doc- doctrine, eternal judgment. That's the reason why Yah has inspired me to start preaching about these basic doctrines because I find even in the Hebrew Roots movement, people, a lot of people, or a good bunch anyway, don't understand those basic doctrines. And if you don't understand those basic doctrines, then you're not going to understand what I'm talking about, uh, some other topics. Now, let me turn to Hebrews 6, verse 1. It says, Therefore, let us go on and get past the elementary stage in the teachings and doctrine of Messiah, advancing steadily toward the completeness and perfection that belong to spiritual maturity. Let us not again be laying the foundation of repentance and abandonment of dead works. That's the first basic doctrine. The second one is of, of faith. Or trust toward God, trusting Him, believing what He says. The third one is the uh, doctrine of immersions, or being uh, immersed, and it's immersions, plural. And so there's other uh, types of immersions in the Bible, or cleansings. And then the laying on of hands, which has a lot to do with respecting authority in, in assemblies. And also laying on the hands for people to be blessed. And also laying on of hands for people to be healed. And then the resurrection of dead, which is a major doctrine about how humanity will be saved. And eternal judgment and punishment. These are all basic doctrines. This is just a basic, and unfortunately, uh, quite a few don't understand these basic doctrines. Understand these basic doctrines. And I was just talking about talking to someone the other day. He understands this, that many of us shouldn't be teaching in the first place. <laughs> you know, we shouldn't be uh, teaching in the first place uh, because it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody to to be toward teachers. And this movement, too, it seems like they get a little knowledge, people get a little knowledge about the Bible, and they want to start teaching. Now, it's nothing wrong, of course, with learning how to be a teacher to teach uh, your family. You should you should be at a point where you should at least be able to to teach your family the words of God. However, however, not everybody is is qualified uh, to teach. 
ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing, and not uh, everybody is qualified to um, to teach. That's something that, um, unfortunately, uh, some people in this movement don't understand. They don't understand that, and uh, they, they want to teach. They want to um, go and, and tell people. And, and, and I'm talking about a group of people. They want to go ahead and teach a group of people the Bible and so forth. And that, I'm telling you, that that is difficult, and, and it's something that um, few people really have the ability to do. And then 1 Corinthians 12, verse 29, it says, Are all apostles or special messengers, are all prophets, inspired interpreters of will and purposes of God, are all teachers, do all have the power of performing miracles? Of course not. I mean, that, that's the implication there, that that all are not that. Um, the scripture I was trying to find, I found it finally. It's in James, Yaakov, or James chapter 3, verse 1. It states here in the Amplified Version, not many of you should become teachers or self-constituted censors or reprovers of others. And that's what a teacher is biblically. We reprove, and believe me, I know it's a difficult job because I even try to gently, as the Bible commands me to do, correct people, and they don't want to be corrected. My brethren, for you know that we teachers will be judged by a higher standard. I'm going to be judged by a higher standard and with greater severity than other people. Thus we assume the greater accountability and the more condemnation. All right, so the Bible is telling us that you, you know <laughs> you better watch what you you're getting yourself into if you if you really truly believe that uh, you are capable of being a teacher. It's not going to be an easy job, folks. And this is a, a lesson that I perhaps is still learning. In, in Proverbs nine verse seven, he says, "He who rebukes a scorner heaps upon himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man gets himself bruises." And so I. You know, it's very difficult for me to go around and correct people who don't want to be corrected. And when they show me they don't want to be corrected, you know, I don't correct them. Now, there's situations where if somebody's just cursing at me, of course, I'm going to have to ask that person to leave. I mean, you can't just, just take abuse like that. But I'm talking about something where you know someone is doing something wrong, you know they're just going to just go out of their minds and not want to listen to you, then it's not wise to try to correct that individual. I'm spending the time with this because most people don't understand that sixth basic doctrine of Yah. And that judgment and punishment has a lot to do with prophecy. And so that's why I'm spending time with this uh, so you can you can understand this clearly. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says, For the Lord corrects, I'm reading this in the Amplified Version, and disciplines everyone whom he loves, and he punishes, even scourges every son whom he accepts and welcomes to his heart and cherishes. Verse 7. You must submit to and endure for discipline. Yah is dealing with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not train and correct and discipline? This is in the Amplified Version. So that means that fathers should be correcting and disciplining and sometimes spanking if they have to up until age 12. Uh, verse 8, now if you are exempt from correction and left without discipline, which all of God's children share or should be sharing, then you are illegitimate or, as the King James Version says, a bastard offspring and not true sons at all. So God is saying if we don't get disciplined, then we're like spiritually bastards. You know, God says that, folks, not me. Verse 9, moreover, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we yielded to them and respected. Now, remember, this is a Jewish book. The Bible is a Jewish book, 
and Jews taught this, that the father should discipline kids. So that's the reason why he's talking like, hey, they understand. This book is addressed to the Hebrews. So they understood this. Shall we not so much more cheerfully submit to the father of spirits? What they're saying is that, hey, you spank your kids. Well, if our heavenly father spanks us, shouldn't we submit to that even more? That's what he's saying. Verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for only a short period of time and uh, and punished us as seemed proper and good to them. But he disciplines us for our certain good that we may become shares in his holiness. That's why we should discipline, even on a, a temporal or earthly level, is to produce righteousness. And that's the reason why God punishes us. Not because he revels in it, but because... It produces righteousness. It's like this atheist I was looking, he was debating uh, Dr. Brown, and he doesn't understand that, why God punishes. It's not because he smiles and says, yeah, I love it. I just love you suffering. No, he does it so that you will stop doing what you're doing and repent. Just like when a father spanks a little child, he does that in the hopes that that child will repent. Verse 11, for the time being, no discipline brings joy. For the time being, for the time being, rather, Hebrews 12, verse 1, for the time being, no discipline brings joy, but seems grievous and painful. But afterwards, it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay, so that is the goal. So I want you to remember that as I'm talking about, yes, doom and gloom. Doom and gloom is in the Bible. You can't run away from it. God does not want you to run away from it. He cares about this world so much that he inspired the doomsday clock. And it was um, a Jew called Albert Einstein, one of the greatest Jews who have ever lived, was influential in the creation of the doomsday clock and the organization that is a part of it, the Atomic Scientists, the uh, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, fired a Jew to create this doomsday clock to let the world know that time is running out. It's bad news, but then again, it's good news. The bad news is that we're going to be going through uh, nuclear... Obviously, nuclear bombs will be used unless something happens incredibly for mankind to repent. Uh, and a lot of other devastation will occur before his coming. And so that that's what this doomsday clock represents, folks. And for people to get up and ignorantly, and it's ignorance, I tell you, because the Bible says in Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and that prophecy is fulfilled when people get up and, and say, ignorant stuff, uh, they, they just don't know what they're talking about. They're not studying. They're not reading uh, even uh, modern history to understand what they're talking about. Uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Beloved, I am writing you with this second letter, and both of them I have stirred up your sincere mind by way of remembrance. We have to remember, in verse 2, that you should recall the predictions of the holy, consecrated, dedicated prophets, and the commandment of the Master and the Savior given through your apostles, his special messengers. He's talking about those 12 or 13. We want to include Shaul, the apostle Shaul, or Paul. 
So we need to take seriously the prophetic books and also the messages of his apostles, which is basically the apostolic scriptures. All right, so we have to take both seriously. Verse 3. To begin with, you must show, know and understand this, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days, and this is one of the common characteristics of the last days. People scoffing, people walking after their own fleshy desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Has someone asked someone like this uh, recently that I was around. Where is the promise of his coming? For since the forefathers fell asleep, all things have continued exactly as they did from the beginning of creation. This is not the end times. Everything is okay. Things going to be okay? No. No, folks. The fact that we have the capability of destroying every man, woman, and child, and all flesh off this earth, which another Jew prophesied, the greatest Jew who ever lived, Yeshua, tells us that we are living in the last. The fact that we got a symbol called the doomsday clock that is ticking to let us know how much time we have left before we can annihilate each other tells us, folks, that one symbol tells us that we are in the last days. So anyway, let me read this quote from the Fate of the Earth book by Jonathan, page 11. It says, and he's talking about the atomic bomb in this context and how powerful it is. He says, in view of this scientific background, President Harry Truman was speaking to the point when, in his announcement that the United States had dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, he told the world that the basic power of the universe, the basic power of the universe, had been harnessed for war by the United States and added that the force from which the sun draws its power has been loose against those who brought war to the Far East. The huge, the monstrous disproportionate between the basic power of the universe and the merry merely terrestrial creatures by which and, and against which it was aimed in anger to find the dread predicament that the world has tried and failed to come to terms with ever since. Our president, Harry, Harriet Truman, not Harriet Truman, but Harry Truman, I don't know why I say that sometimes, President Harry Truman, and he ended with the quote when he said, the force from which the sun draws its powers has been loose against those who brought war to the Far East. But it's interesting that he said that we have unleashed the basic power of the universe, and it reminds me of a scripture. Let's go to Genesis. Bereshit, Genesis in Hebrew. That's what it means. Well, that's how it's pronounced. Genesis chapter 11. When the world was of one language, and then they said, Come, let us build a city and tower. In verse 4 of Genesis chapter 11, whose top reaches into the sky, and let us make a name for ourselves that we not be scattered over the entire earth. And in verse 5, and the master came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. In verse 6, and the master said, behold, they are as Ahad in Hebrew, one. They are one people and they have Ahad, one language. 
And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And the master said, and now nothing they have imagined they can do will be impossible for them. So God said this, not Kennard. God said that man at that particular junction in history, after the flood, was capable of doing anything on a physical plane. God was not ready at that time for man to use nuclear bombs. So what did he do? Remember, the power of the nuclear bomb is what? It is the basic power of the universe, according to our president, Harry Truman, and other scientists. God was not ready for us to harness the basic power of the universe. And so what did he do? Verse 7, come, let us go down and there and confound, mix up and confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. And so because of that, they did not develop nuclear technology back then. And it was delayed because other prophecies had to be fulfilled. The main prophecy that needed to be fulfilled is the becoming of the Messiah so that all of mankind would have an opportunity for salvation. How could that occur if he allowed man to imagine anything and accomplish it on a physical basis, including nuclear bombs? How could that have been accomplished if he would have allowed the basic power of the universe to be harnessed by mankind? And so what did he do? He confounded the languages. I want you to understand this so that you understand that we are certainly living in the end times. God is speaking to you right now and telling you this. So pay attention. We are living in the last days. Most definitely. All right. So. Now you understand, at least I hope you do, that because of our nuclear capabilities, we are living. People use Israel and all that, but what's even more of proof is that we have the capability now to destroy all of mankind off the face of the earth. We did not have that capability. The genesis or the start of that capability did not occur until 1945, However, let me read the following to you in this book on page 12 of The Fate of the Earth. It states here, In general magnitude, the energy of a radioactive emissions greatly overmatches the strength of the chemical bonds that hold living things together. This is talking about the atom. The vulnerability to radioactivity of genetic material in particular is well known. It is perhaps not surprising that when cosmic energies are turned loose, on a small planet, overwhelming destruction is the result. It is perhaps not surprising that when cosmic energies are turned loose on a small planet, overwhelmingly destruction is the result. Let me repeat this again. It is perhaps not surprising that when cosmic energies, the power of the universe, right, are turned loose on a small planet, overwhelming destruction is the result. These are the times we're living in right now. Einstein. One among many, and it's many, he's not the only witness, was among was only one among many far-seeing people, he had vision, to express an understanding of this fundamental mismatch of strengths when he stated, now he stated this in 1950, 
as he contemplated the likely detonation of a hydrogen or thermonuclear bomb, the first one was actually exploded by the United States in the fall of 1952. And this is what Einstein said in the 1950s, in 1950, that radioactive poisoning of the atmosphere and hence annihilation of any life on Earth has been brought within the range of technical possibilities. Let me read this to you again. This is the statement he made in 1950. Albert Einstein, the radioactive poisoning of the atmosphere and hence the annihilation of any life on Earth has been brought within the range of technical possibilities. Let me repeat this to you again, a third time. Albert Einstein, in 1950, is actually quoting Matthew 24, verse 22, in his own way, okay? He says, radioactive poisoning of the atmosphere, and hence, annihilation of any life on Earth has been brought within the range of technical possibilities. Now, what did the greatest Jew who ever lived say? Let's go back again to Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. Matthew chapter 24, all I'm doing is reading you the scriptures and using the common sense that God has given me. Matthew chapter 24, verse 22. And except those days, now you should understand the days that he's talking about are the nuclear bomb days, the days that we have the capability of destroying ourselves. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. We are in those days, folks. Let's wake up to reality. Wake up to reality. And God cares about the world so much that he created the doomsday clock to let us know how much time we truly have left. Now, January 26th, this is what they stated here. And let me give you uh, a short summary again of the Doomsday Clock and how it was founded and how this organization was founded that created the Doomsday Clock. This is on page, and you can get this document off of Google. I influence you and implore you to get this article and read it and have your children read it so they can understand how seriously close we are to annihilating ourselves off this earth. Page one of this document, it is still three minutes to midnight. Founded in 1945 by the University of Chicago scientists who helped develop the first atomic weapons in the Manhattan Project, which Einstein was a part of. The Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists created the Doomsday Clock two years later, in 1947, using the imagery of an apocalypse, midnight, and the Bible talks about that, midnight, and the contemporary idiom of nuclear explosion, countdown to zero, to convey threats to humanity and the planet. The decision to move or to leave in place the minute hand of the Doomsday Clock is made every year by the Bulletin Science and Security Board in consultation with his board of sponsors. So in other words, this is not a bunch of idiots here at the round table. These are people who study these things. They understand what's going on. They look at what's going on in the world, which includes 16 Nobel laureates. The clock has become a universally recognized indicator. Let me repeat this. The clock 
has become a universally recognized indicator of the world's vulnerability to catastrophe from nuclear weapons. And they say also climate change, and you know, there's big arguments about that, but there's no doubt, no arguments about the nuclear weapons, and new technologies emerging in their domains. All right, so this is serious, ladies and gentlemen. And this is this is not something to just take casually and just say, oh, it's no big deal. Things go on the way they are in the world, and that, and that that is not that is not. Uh, let me just read to you what what they stated here. It says even as the Iran agreement was hammered out, tensions between the United States and Russia rose to levels reminiscent of the worst periods of the Cold War. The Cold War is back in the 1980s. Conflict in the Ukraine and Syria continued, accompanied by dangerous bluster and brinkmanship with Turkey, a NATO member, shooting down a Russian warplane involved in Syria, the director of a state-run Russian news agency making statements about turning, turning the United States to radioactive ash. This is a Russia. A Russian official was telling the United States they would turn them to uh, it says right here, the director of a state-run Russian news agency making statements about turning the United States to radioactive ash and NATO and Russia repositioning military assets and conducting significant exercises with them. Washington and Moscow continue to adhere to the most existing nuclear arms control agreements. But the United States, Russia, and other nuclear weapons countries are engaged in programs to modernize their nuclear arsenal, suggesting that they plan to keep and maintain the readiness of their nuclear weapons for decades, at least despite their pledges codified in the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty to pursue nuclear disarmament. Promising though it may be, the Paris Climate Agreement came toward the end of Earth's warmest year on record, with the increase in global temperature over pre-industrial levels surpassing one degree Celsius. Voluntary pledges made in Paris to limit greenhouse gas emissions are insufficient to the task of averting drastic climate change. Now, the Bible does talk about weather disturbances and so forth, so I'm not surprised they're talking about this. They are, at best, the incremental moves toward the fundamental change in world energy systems that must occur if climate change is to ultimately be arrested. Because the diplomatic because the diplomatic successes on Iran and in Paris have been offset at least by negative events in the nuclear and climate arenas. The members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Science and Security Board find the world situation to be highly threatening to humanity. Again, the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Science and Security Board find the world situation to be highly threatening to humanity. Again, the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Science and Security Board find the world situation to be highly threatening to humanity, so threatening that the hands of the doomsday clock must remain at three minutes to midnight, the closest they've been to catastrophe since the early days of above-ground hydrogen bomb testing which I had just revealed to you that began in the 1950s. Last year, we wrote that world leaders had failed to act with the speed or on the scale required to protect citizens from the danger posed by climate change and nuclear war and that those failures endangered every person on Earth in keeping the hands of the doomsday clock at three minutes to midnight. 
the members of the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists, Science and Security Board, mean to make a clear statement. And here's the clear statement. Listen up. Ye who have ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The world situation remains highly threatening to humanity and decisive action to reduce the danger posed by nuclear weapons and climate change is urgently required. Again, the world situation remains highly threatening to humanity and decisive action to reduce the danger posed by nuclear weapons and climate change is urgently required. Again, one last time. The world situation remains highly threatening to humanity and decisive action to reduce the danger posed by nuclear weapons and climate change is urgently required. This is God warning, ladies and gentlemen, through people who are scientists. That's how mercy, merciful he really is. God is hoping the following happens. Jeremiah 18. He's always hoping that this happens. Jeremiah 18, verse 7. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull down, and to destroy it. Verse 8. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent or change his mind of the evil that I thought to do unto them. This applies to all the prophecies of the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeremiah was a prophet to the nations. And so, I'm just speaking the words of God through the prophet Jeremiah, his words that he wrote under the inspiration of Yah, which in Second Peter chapter 3 we should be taking seriously. All right, And he states here that it's a, it's a possibility that uh, any nation doesn't make a difference who it is. If they repent of their wicked ways, he will repent or change his mind of the evil that will happen to them based on the prophecies of the Bible. And so God is hoping that this happens. That's why he created uh, the Doomsday Clock people, the Bulletin of the Atomic Sciences, so that people will, will understand that we're doing something wrong. It's Isaiah chapter 24. I'm trying to make this Bible study as simple and simplistic as possible so that you understand our situation, folks. Isaiah 24, verse 1. And it's interesting, you have Matthew 24, Isaiah 24, it's basically talking about the same thing. Behold, the master will make the land and the earth empty and make it waste and turn it upside down. Twist the face of it and scatter abroad its inhabitants. I know that's an incredible scripture, but folks, it's in your Bible. I didn't make those words up. Verse 2, and it shall be as what happens with the people, so with the priest, as with the servant, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. Verse 3, the land and the earth shall be utterly laid waste and utterly pillaged. For the master has said this, the land and the earth mourn and wither, the world languishes and withers, the high ones of the people and the heavens and the earth languish. Verse 5, the land and the earth are also defiled by their inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, and that word laws in the Hebrew is Torahs, the instructions of God, disregarded the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. That's the covenant that God made with Israel in the wilderness. And they said that they would obey. And they lied, the majority of them. They did not obey. Verse 6. And this is the reason why there's curses. This is the reason why we're on the brink of destroying each other. Therefore a curse devours the land and the earth, and they who dwell in it suffer the punishment of their guilt. 
Therefore, the inhabitants of the land and the earth are scourged, scorched, and parched. And that is certainly alludes to nuclear bombs, and that's what nuclear bombs do. They scorch and they perch, or parch. They scorch and they parch. Under the curse of God's wrath, and few people are left. And that's what's going to happen. There's going to be few people left on this earth. In Isaiah chapter 26, if he's old canard, you're preaching gloom and doom. Well, you're persecuting God himself because he preaches doom and gloom in the hopes that people repent and that there will be a righteous world, and it will be. Isaiah 26, verse 9, My soul yearns for you in the night. Yes, my spirit within me seeks you earnestly. For only when your judgments are in the earth, the basic doctrine of eternal judgment, folks, only when your judgments are in the earth will the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. So the good, I did a program about the righteous generation. A righteous generation will be birthed through all this punishing. Just like when a, a woman is pregnant, right? And she's going through tremendous pain, but when that baby is born, what happens? She is happy. Well, that's what the world is going through, folks. Right now we're going through birth pains. We're going through birth pains. And it's going to hurt, folks. But in the end, a beautiful thing will be created. A righteous humanity. A righteous humanity will be birthed through all of this. And it's a simple questions that Isaiah asked. The majority of the world are blinded. They don't understand who the true God is. And Isaiah understood this. Isaiah 6, verse 8. And also I heard the voice of the master saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And he said, I, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah wanted to be sent as Yah's prophet at that time. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear and hear continually, but understand that. The majority of people don't even understand what I'm saying right now. I understand that, but God commands me to continue to preach. And see and, and, see, and see continue, but do not apprehend with your mind. Verse 10, Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes and that they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn again and be healed or repent. And so, you know, there's a group of people uh, on the earth, uh, quite a few, that are, it's not time for them to repent yet. And he's raising uh, his wife, his first fruits to understand. First, verse 11, then said I, Lord, how long? And this program really is for people who God is calling to be kings and priests, to help Yeshua rule on this earth so that the majority of humanity can be taught to repent and, be, and to be righteous. Verse 11, Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land is utterly dead. Again, the concept of devastation that calls people to repent is there. And in verse 12, And the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth, 10% remain in the land, some people teach that maybe 10% of the population will be left. That's that's certainly plausible because uh, Isaiah 24, verse 6, it says few men left will be on the earth. So it could possibly be 10% and, uh, of the population, which is only about 700,000 people, uh, 700 million people. 7 billion times 10% is 700 million. That's, that's just an approximation there. And though a tenth of the people remain in the land, it will be for their destruction, eaten up and burned like a tree or like an oak whose stump and substance remain when they are felled or have cast their leaves. The holy seed is the stump and substance of Israel. All right, so, folks, I, I hope you understand. I'm going to uh, continue on a little bit. I want to say a few other things. This program is going to be um, a little longer than, than most. 
because this is a very urgent message. I want you to share this message with people to help them understand that we are living in the end times. I'm trying to really make this message as clear as I can so that you'll understand this and you'll pass it along. Now, that doesn't mean that you should panic. It doesn't mean that you should uh, go around running with your head cut off like a chicken's head cut off. But it should help you to understand the seriousness of the times you're living in right now. Well, you have nuclear bombs pointed. Russia has nuclear bombs pointed at the United States. The United States have nuclear bombs pointed at us. And at any time, they can go off by mistake, and you know we, we could have a nuclear war. And so we are, we are living in dangerous times, folks. And, and the Bible tells us that we, if we call ourselves believers, that we should not be blind to the times that we're living in. And First Thessalonians 5, verse 1, it says, But as to the suitable times and the precise seasons and dates, brethren, you have no necessity for anything being written to you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Master will come unexpectedly and suddenly as a thief in the night. And this it will become unexpectedly uh, to people who don't know what you're learning. Verse 3, when people are saying all is well and secure and there is peace and safety, and then in a the moment unforeseen destruction, ruin and death will come upon them as suddenly as labor pains come upon a woman with child, and they shall by no means escape for there will be no escape. Verse 4, but you are not in given up to the power of darkness, brethren, for that day to overtake you by surprise like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong either to the night or to darkness. Accordingly, then let us not sleep as the rest do. Majority of mankind sleep. They don't want to listen to what I'm telling you. But let us keep wide awake, alert, watchful, cautious, and on guard, and let us be sober, calm, collected, and circumspect. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But we belong to the day. Therefore, let us be sober and put on the breastplate, corslet of faith or trust, and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. All right, so, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be off the air here in another minute and 14 seconds, but I'm still going to continue on with this, uh, maybe another 15 to 30 minutes, maybe less than that. Uh, some other things that I want to say. Uh, to help you to understand the times that we're living in here and realize that uh, the good news is that we're living in the times of the coming of the Messiah. Um, but none of us know the exact day. Even Messiah doesn't know that. No one knows the day or the hour. However, we are certainly in the end times, and I hope today that this program have helped you to understand that we are living in the last days. In Job 34, verse 20, alludes to the doomsday clock. It says, In a moment shall they die, and the people shall be troubled at midnight and pass away, and the mighty shall be taken away without hand. That is certainly visualizing the doomsday clock, folks. And Isaiah 34, well, I'm not going to be able to read this. Uh, I'll be cut off here, but... May Yah bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week, and you can catch the remainder of this program in the archives. Shalom. All right, so Isaiah 34, verse 1 to 2 states, Come near, ye nations, to hear and hearken, ye people. Let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it, for the indignation of the masters upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. Isaiah 34, verse 1 to 2. 
I need to answer the other question. How can we prepare for World War III? The best way that we can prepare for World War III, ladies and gentlemen, is prepare the way FEMA tells us to prepare. Uh, we should basically have emergency supplies. We should be preparing for any kind of emergency. But better than that, the best way that we can prepare for World War Three is to stay close to Yah, to obey him, to obey him. Yah took us on eagle's wings, our, our ancestors, and he's going to do that again. The people that were in Egypt were enslaved, and they didn't have the resources to prepare, uh, just like you have the doomsday preppers. I think they're overdoing it. Uh, um, most people don't even have the time to prepare uh, effectively to be a survivalist. Uh, they have to work. They have to pay bills. And so our ancestors in Egypt, they didn't have the time either. They were working every day. So so God blessed them, and he had them use get some of the resources of the Egyptians uh, when they left and went into the wilderness. The same thing is going to happen for us too as well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if we are worthy. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. 34, and this is, I'm reading this in the Amplified Version for clarity's sake. But take heed to yourselves and be on guard, that not your hearts be overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headache and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. And let that day and that not that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. Verse 35, for it will come upon all who live upon the face of the earth. The majority population is going to come as a surprise. Now, here's the key. Verse 36, keep awake. That means spiritually awake as, as well as uh, physically. And watch at all times. Be discreet, attentive, and ready. He says he doesn't tell you not to uh, be uh, totally oblivious to world events. We, we need to watch. But we need to also watch our spiritual condition. Praying that you may have the full strength and ability to be accounted worthy to escape all these, what things? The things of, of these days that we're living in today. That will take place and to stand in the presence of the Son of Man. So I want to, I want to focus on those who are worthy to escape all these things. Is there a place in these end times for the people of God to escape? Yes, there is. And let me show you this. Let me show you. that This is a prophecy that is plain in the Bible. That uh, until recently I really didn't understand it fully, but I understand it now. And uh, I, I have a responsibility to preach these things to you. So I'm going to do this, and there is a place for us, ladies and gentlemen, to flee to. You know, and I know some people going around saying, well, he's going to protect you where you're at. No, he's not. I mean, there, there's a specific place. Well, he will getting to this place, but there's a specific place that Yah has chosen for us to escape to. All right? And so I'm going to prove this to you, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And he states right here. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and terrible day of the Master comes. And verse 32, And whosoever shall call on the name of the Master shall be delivered and saved. That's talking about physical saving. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall, there shall be those who escape. 
as the Lord has said, and among the remnant shall be those whom the Lord calls. So notice that Yah is telling us where is that. It's in Mount Zion and Jerusalem, and it says there shall be those who escape. All right, so it has something to do with an area in the Middle East. Now, Yeshua gave us more information, the greatest prophet who ever lived. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, starting in verse 15. So when you see, well, let me read this in the King James. It's a little clearer in the King James. Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whosoever reads, let him understand, verse 16. And he's saying that because many people don't understand Daniel, even people who claim to understand it, they don't. Verse 16, then let them which be in Judea, that's the West Bank, flee into the mountains. Okay, so there's going to be a particular amount of people, those who are worthy, they will be in Judea already when this is occurring. It says, let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop now come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that get suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on Shabbat, which proves that there will be people of God keeping Shabbat even in these end times. Verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. So, it's telling us that there's going to be a group of people located in Mount Zion in Jerusalem that will be delivered. And they will be in the West Bank area. They will flee to the mountains. And the Bible clearly states in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Let me read this to you. In verse 1, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun and with the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And verse 4, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born, in verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a, this is repeated two times in this prophecy, so it's important, a place prepared of God. So there is a place, and that word place is not plural. It means a place, not places. In, he, in Greek, topos, topos, I guess, in Greek. It means a spot, a place, all right, a location. And so the woman fled into the wilderness just like the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it states that what happened in the wilderness is similar to what's going to happen in the end times. It says, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place, not places, prepared of Yah that she should be fed there one thousand three score days. All right, so there's a place that he's reserved for his people who are worthy to escape all these things. Those who are not blind are blinding themselves spiritually or physically. Those are the ones that are going to be worthy to escape all these things. Verse seven, 
And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels. This happens around the start of the tribulation, this war. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Hasatan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our Yah, and the power of his Messiah, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our Yah day and night. And that's what he does. He's accusing me, and he's accusing other people at the throne room of God. And they overcame him by the blood of the Master, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives in the devil. In other words, they were willing to sacrifice their life on their stake or cross, if necessary. Verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great... He hasn't come down on us yet, but he will in the future. Having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. The Bible is going to tell you what that short time here is in a minute. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman. The woman is God's assembly, which is spiritually Israel, of course. Uh, not all of Israel, but God's assembly is Israel along with the Jews. They're, they're all Israel. The woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Uh, the nation of Israel was taken on eagle's wings. That's what it says. And Exodus 19, verse 4. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bare you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. That means that he supplied the needs. He supplied all that we needed to escape, folks, and he's going to do that again. Um, in Revelation 12, verse 14, And to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness and to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. That's one, uh, Time is one year, times is two years, a half a time is a half a year. So that's three and a half years. And so she's going to be taken on eagle's wings, just like our modern ancestors were, or, or ancient ancestors. And we are going to be taken care of. And the best thing that we can do is obey and do the best we can to take care of ourselves, both spiritually and physically. Revelation 12, verse 16, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swaddled up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And verse 17, And the, and the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remainder of her seed, which keep the commandments of Yah and have the testimony of Yeshua. So there's going to be two groups of people. There's going to be one group that's protected. There's going to be another group that's not going to be protected. Okay? And and uh, there's also going to be some people protected uh, uh, and not in this place of safety. That's another Bible study. But But there's going to be a group of people who are protected and a group of people who are not protected. And the group of people, the majority of people who are not protected, are going to be those who aren't worthy to escape all these things. And they're going to have to, to get their heads cut off. And in Revelation 20, verse 4, it says uh, quite a few of the people. Let's read that. Revelation 20, verse 4. Reve Revelation 20, verse 4. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Yeshua, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, and neither his image, neither had received they're marked upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Messiah a thousand years. These are going to be people who are not going to want to leave this country. They want to stay. They're still believers, but that will be the sin 
that they committed, and because of that sin, they're going to have to give their lives to become uh, uh, a, a, a king and priest and, and rule on the earth with Messiah. I don't want to get my head cut off. <laughs> if there's a way where I have to get my head cut off, I'm going to go through that way. And for, for further proof that there's a specific place for for Yah's people to go to, despite what people are preaching today incorrectly, let's turn to Daniel, Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11, verse 40. At the time of the end, you might as well put in 21st century, shall the king of the south push at him. And this is, you're talking about the area of Jerusalem, and you read this this prophecy in Daniel, it's talking about Syria being the king of the north and Egypt being the king of the south. So whatever countries are in those regions at the end time, that's what this is talking about. And whatever countries are uh, with the power that they have that's described here in the book of Revelation, uh, not the book of Revelation, book of Daniel, uh, these, these, it's going to be some uh, power block of the king of the uh, of the north. Some people say it's NATO. This is the North Atlantic uh, Treaty, I think, or, or, organization. They are north. Of course, you have the Muslims and so forth. So people are preaching, and this may be plausible that there could be some battle like that. But anyway, at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and horsemen, with many ships. And so when I read this, I think of the power of the United States. I think about the power of the European nations. Uh, And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. In verse 41, he shall enter into the glorious land, that's Jerusalem, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these are the countries that will escape, folks. Edom. Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. That's the area of Jordan, folks. And so that's the only, according to the Bible, that is the one spot that the beast's power will not touch. And that is the spot where God's people will be at, logically. And so there's one specific location. It's not locations. It's one specific location that God has ordained his people go to. And it's in the area of Edom, Moab, and the children of Ammon, the area of Jordan, ladies and gentlemen. And in verse 42, He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. Verse 43, But he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his stuff. But tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go with great fury to destroy, and utterly to make away many, and he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain, that's Jerusalem, Mount Zion, yet he shall come to his end, by, and none shall help him. Now at this time, it says the following, Daniel 12, verse 1, And at that time, at this time, shall Micah stand up the great prince which stands for the people, through, uh, that people. and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation to that time. So this is when the tribulation begins, and Michael's standing up because he's fighting against uh, Hasatan, which is revealed, in, uh, and, and this is interesting, Daniel 12 and Revelation chapter 12 is basically talking about the same thing. Revelation chapter 12 and Daniel chapter 12. That same time, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found, written in the book. Verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall wake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, 
and they that turn many righteousness as the stars, that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Verse 4, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words, shut up the words, and seal the book to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked and beheld there stood other two, the one on one side of the bank of the river and the other on the other side of the bank. And he said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And let me go back to verse 4. That's a prophecy of the Internet, folks. It says, at a time, knowledge shall be increased. And that's certainly the Internet, folks. So we, because of the Internet, we have an explosion of knowledge in this end time. In verse 6 of Daniel chapter 12, one said to him, uh, the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river. How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? In verse 7, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand into heaven, and swore by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half a time, when, she have, when he have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not, then said, I, O oh my Lord, what shall the end of these things be? And verse 9, and he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until today, the 21st century. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. None of the wicked shall understand. But the wise shall understand, despite what people preach incorrectly. The wise shall understand the prophecy. They shall understand the book of Daniel. And the other prophecies, verse 11. And from the time of the daily sacrifice shall be, this is the great tribulation, an abomination that make it set, uh, set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Now, here's the key. And I, I, I um, full credit is, is given by the, the, the guy who designed the website, escapealldiesethings.com. I got this information from him. And I implore you to go. To that website, I agree with mostly everything he's saying there about prophecy. Uh, EscapeAllThesethings.com. Again, EscapeAllThesethings.com. I got his book. I recommend you get his book and read it. Of course, do your Berean and do your research. But it's one of the best, if not the best, prophecy book I have ever read. So I have to give credit when it's due. Uh, EscapeAllThesethings.com. And uh, I, I would encourage you to get the book. I, I, I don't sell stuff. Um, but he chooses to do that. But uh, the Bible says, get the truth and sell it not. So uh, there is some truth even in things that you buy, the Bible you have to buy. So go ahead and uh, get that book and read that book. So I have to give credit when it's due. EscapeAllThesethings.com. EscapeAllThesethings.com. Get that book and read it so you can get corrected on uh, prophecy so that you can understand prophecy a lot better. Um, So... Daniel 12, verse 11, And from the time of the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Verse 12, Blessed is he that waiteth and comes to the one thousand three hundred and thirty-five day. Now, I used to think that this prophecy meant when Messiah came. No, it's talking about before he comes. So there's going to be a time period, ladies and gentlemen, where we're going to have time to escape. When we are in the Mount Zion area in Jerusalem, we're going to need time to go to Amman, uh, the area of Jordan, so that we can be protected in that wilderness area. That's where that area is located, based on the Bible. It has to be, because that's the area that the beast's power will not touch. All right, so b- b- blessed is he 
that waiteth and comes to the, the 1,335th day. And so you're going to be blessed, I'm going to be blessed, if we are able to be protected in the wilderness, ladies and gentlemen. So that's what that's referring to. But go thy way to the end, B. And so if you add, subtract 1,335 days from 1,260, what do you get? Let me get my calculator out here. You have 1,335 minus 1,260. That's 75 days. But the start of the tribulation um, is 1,260. It's three and a half years. But that's a total of, uh, of 75 days, and God is going to give us time to prepare for that. If you if you go 1,335 minus 1,290, you get 45 days. So we're going to have some time to flee to the area where the beast power uh, will not be able to affect. And that is the area that God has revealed in the Bible that we're going to go to. And so I hope I been pretty plain about that and what we had to do is do what psalm 91 tells us to do it tells us to obey him obey his laws if we do that then we will be worthy to escape all these things psalm 91 he says he that dwells in the secret place and is secret to to those uh, who don't know who aren't listening to me or others who are preaching the truth but it's a place <laughs> that's what it's saying. It's not places. Uh, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noise and pestilence. He shall cover thee with His feathers. And under His wings, again, He's going to take us under His wings, right? Shall thou trust His truth, shall be thy shield and buckler. His truth. And so all we have to do, ladies and gentlemen, is obey Him. And that will be our shield and buckler. Verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, for nor the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, for the destruction that wastes at noonday. And that's interesting. The destruction that wastes at noonday. Uh, allusion again to 12 o'clock again. Verse 7, A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. And this can talk about protection before we have to go to the area. But certainly it's talking about being protected while we're in that area as well. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee. These are the, this is the description of the people who are worthy to escape all these things. There, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come near thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee. To keep thee in all thy ways. This this happens right now as I'm speaking, but it's certainly going to happen in that place in the wilderness. Verse twelve. They shall bear thee up in their hands, that not thou that that not die dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the the young lion and the dragon shall thou trample on their feet, because he has set his love upon me. Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. And that's the key. We have to. Uh, set our love upon him. We must keep his commandments 
and prove to him that we love him above all else. Those are the people that will be that will be worthy to escape all these things. You can't keep one commandment and not keep another and call yourself a believer. You have to do the best you can to keep all his commandments. Those are the people that will be worthy to escape all these things. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to be one of those who are alive, uh, those who are alive and, and be changed, as he states here in 1 Corinthians, and on this message, I'm going to be preaching this message more often because the time for this message to go out is now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, he says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of Yah, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We should not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. And this is talking about those who are alive, that are worthy to escape all these things. For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised and corrupt, and we shall all be changed. And so it states here in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So let's not be ignorant of this. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Yeshua died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Yeshua will God bring with him. So the dead is going to rise first. However, I'm talking about the people who are worthy to escape all these things that will be in the place of wilderness. This is what's going to happen to you. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of Yah, that we which are alive and remain, those are the people who are worthy that are in the Jordan area, and remain until the coming of the Master shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Master himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of Yah, and the dead in Messiah shall rise first. Then we which are alive, those who are alive are going to be those who are worthy to escape all these things that are in the wilderness that are protected for three and a half years, as Revelation chapter 12 states, in that area where the beast power is not going to reach or have any control over. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the atmosphere, in the air, right above the earth, and so shall we be ever with the Master. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So again, the review if you want to be worthy to escape all these things, listen to what I'm preaching to you. Learn how to keep the Shabbat and the holy days of the list in Leviticus chapter 23. Learn how to follow Yeshua's example. This is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, these things will write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua Messiah, the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the, the mercy seat or the propitiation cover for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. And hereby we do know him, we do know that we know him. How do you get to know the Master? By keeping his commandments, all of them, to the best of your ability. Verse 4, he that says, I know him and keep him not his commandments is a liar, and the truth of the Torah is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of Yah perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. 
He that says he abides in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked, he shall walk to the Jewish synagogue every Shabbat, and he kept the Sabbath. We should walk if we can go to a Hebrew roots uh, synagogue or fine. If we can fellowship in our homes, we should fellowship. In Romans chapter 16, it reveals that people fellowship and there was an assembly in their homes. And so we ought to do the best we can to fellowship with each other every week on Shabbat, on Saturday, not Sunday. And and do what the master said. Ma- the master did not keep Sunday; he kept Shabbat. And so we need to do that. And if we do that, and we and if we practice pure religion, and we care about widows and widowers and and people that are in distress, and keep ourselves unspotted from the world, meaning that we keep all the commandments to the best of our ability, then we will be worthy to escape all these things, and we will be able to be protected in the Jordan region of the world from the tribulation, ladies and gentlemen. And then we will be those people who are alive, and we will be instantly changed. And so that's why Daniel says that we will be blessed if we get to the 1,335th day and then we count from there and we have approximately 45 days to get out of Dodge, to get in that region so that we'll be protected. So this is some truth that I must preach, that God has revealed to me through that website, EscapeAllTheseThings.com, and I'm going to preach this to as many people as I can, that there is a way of escape, that we need to be focusing on Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to be ruling it uh, along with our mass in Jerusalem anyway. And so we need to learn all we can about that area, and we need to be prepared to go to Jerusalem. We need to be prepared to do that. And then um, when, it right, when the time is right, God will let us know who is worthy to escape. He will miraculously let us know. Of course, he's going to have a leader or leaders lead us to this area so that we can be protected and so that we can receive a portion of the Holy Spirit, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to give us the strength to endure uh, those three and a half years in the wilderness. And so I'll talk more about that uh, in future broadcasts. But I hope you understand, and I hope this, this Bible study is comforting to you, and I hope it answered a lot of questions about what's going on whether or not these are the end times, how do we prepare for World War III. Um, the thing you need to look at, though, and that book covers it. He has an, a good chart, one of the best charts, if not the best chart I've ever seen in prophecy. Um, I have to get credit when it's due because I've studied prophecy for a long time, and it's one of the best books, if not the best book that I've ever read about prophecy. Isaiah chapter 17 reveals to you what's going on right now in Syria. And then read the book of Zephaniah about Gaza and those other areas. That's going on right now. These are end-time events that are occurring as I'm speaking. And once uh, Damascus is not a city, that's that's the domino effect. That will cause or trigger World War III, ladies and gentlemen. But please go get that book, EscapeAllTheseThings.com, and study it. Like I said, I, I don't agree 100% on everything, but uh, mostly everything he talks about there, in particular his chart. So um, may God bless and keep you. And y'all willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Shalom. Peace. Malachi chapter 4. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, 
and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 